When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. Tonight, we are going to cover a woman of immense intellect, charisma, and influence during the mid-19th century. She was more than just the daughter of a prominent political figure and Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court. She carved her own path and became a force to be reckoned with in American politics with a unique combination of beauty, intelligence, and ambition that allowed her to rise above societal expectations and leaving an indelible mark on American history. So, let's throw another log on the fire, campers. Let's dig up a new mystery. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with us, as always, is our award-winning journalist who spent 30-plus years telling these kinds of stories with the Akron Beacon Journal, Paula Schleiss. Hi, everybody. There's a saying that behind every great man is a great woman. It was a way to give women credit back when society often didn't recognize them for their own achievements. But such women are rarely remembered for all that background support. Kate Chase of Cincinnati, on the other hand, was hard to forget. The Civil War era socialite was sometimes called the Belle of the North, Beautiful, ambitious, and influential, the Scarlet O'Hara of Ohio and then Washington, D.C. She never held a title, but as a daughter, as a wife, as a lover, the tall beauty had the ear of some of the country's most influential men. She also lived a life filled with scandal, rumor, heartbreak, raised in wealth, then died in abject poverty. And though just a few people stood at her grave as they lowered her into the ground in 1899, the Cincinnati Enquirer recognized her legacy, writing, No queen has ever reigned under the stars and stripes, but this remarkable woman came closer to being queen than any American woman has. This is the story of Kate Chase. Catherine Jane Chase was born in Cincinnati in 1840. And if her last name makes you think of a famous bank, well, that's because the bank was named for her dad. 
Her pop was Salmon P. Chase, Treasury Secretary under President Abraham Lincoln, Governor of Ohio, and Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court. Kate's mom was Eliza Ann Smith, but Eliza died when Kate was just five years old. Salmon remarried, and Kate didn't get along with her stepmom. So, at the age of nine, Kate was packed up and sent off to boarding school. At the Haynes School in New York City, she learned languages, elocution, and the social graces, along with music and history. At the age of 16, her father really needed her back in Columbus, Ohio, where he was now serving as the governor. Poor Sam and Chase. He really had bad luck when it came to family. Kate's stepmom was his third wife, and she had died as the two before her. Four of his six children were dead. Kate, the oldest surviving daughter, was bright and vivacious and smart, just what he needed as a hostess at the governor's mansion. And, as it turns out, beside him as his top political aide. Kate went to work, redecorating the mansion, purchasing expensive furniture, outfitting herself with a suitable hostess's wardrobe, then planning lavish parties and drawing up guest lists, all with an eye to furthering her father's ambitions. She continually impressed state and national figures who came into her father's orbit, so much so that many of them would write about her in their journals and letters and biographies. Here's one example written by Carl Schertz, a politician of the time who wrote about meeting Kate. She was about 18 years old, tall and slender and exceedingly well-formed, Her little nose, somewhat audaciously tipped up, could perhaps not have passed muster with a severe critic, but it fitted pleasingly into her face with its large, languid, but at the same time vivacious hazel eyes, shaded by long, dark lashes and arched over by proud eyebrows. The fine forehead was framed in waving gold-brown hair, She had something imperial in the pose of the head, and all her movements possessed an exquisite natural charm. No wonder that she came to be admired as a great beauty and broke many hearts. Well, Kate did manage to make one enemy. In 1859, she did not show up for a reception for the wife of then-Illinois Senator Abraham Lincoln. Mrs. Lincoln never forgot that, especially later when both women ended up together in the nation's capital. Hey, fellow true crime aficionados. I've stumbled upon the ultimate hidden gem, Dakota Spotlight by James Wollner. It's a revelation. Picture this. Thoroughly researched, original, and peppered with real interviews. No sensationalism here. Just gripping storytelling with heart. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll always want more. So cozy up and join me on the edge of your seat. Trust me, this podcast is the real deal. Start with the Mandan murders and prepare to be hooked. 
Let's uncover this treasure together. Listen to Dakota Spotlight. Kate had always shared her father's dream of sitting in the Oval Office. Sam and Chase got to start practicing law in Cincinnati and rose to prominence by defending people who had escaped slavery and those who were tried for assisting them. It wasn't particularly a popular position in Cincinnati, which was right on the border of the slave state of Kentucky and allied with a lot of Southern businesses. They started calling Chase the Attorney General for Fugitive Slaves, even though he lost a lot of his cases on that topic. But his views were popular enough statewide that Ohio made him their governor, twice. Then Chase won a seat on the U.S. Senate and confidently decided to seek the Republican nomination for president. But he had little political clout outside of Ohio, and the tides were favoring that Illinois senator. Abraham Lincoln. So Chase bowed out and supported him. Lincoln then made Chase his Secretary of the Treasury. And as the Civil War began, Chase and daughter Kate headed to Washington, D.C. and rented a mansion to live in. Kate took Washington by storm. Mrs. Lincoln may have been the country's first lady, but Kate was Washington's first lady, and her soirees were among the most anticipated in town. She also visited battle camps in the Washington area to support the troops and befriended Union generals. Her conversations were not limited to the weather. She frequently offered her own views on the war, even if it wasn't the same as the administration's view. She wasn't beyond writing a letter now and then to Lincoln himself, once even suggesting a battlefield promotion for an officer, which, a month after her letter was received, was granted. One newspaper said Kate Chase ruled as no other American woman ever reigned at the Capitol. She could make someone's career by extending them an invitation or blight someone by leaving them off her visiting list. Kate, of course, had her pick of many powerful, eligible bachelors, and in 1863, she selected one as her husband. She married Rhode Island Governor William Sprague, a textile magnate, one of the richest men in the country, who had just been elected a U.S. Senator. Sprague's wedding gift to Kate was a tiara of matched pearls and diamonds that cost more than $50,000. She walked down the aisle to the U.S. Marine Band playing the Kate Chase March, written for her by composer Thomas Mark Clark. President Lincoln attended her reception, though Mrs. Lincoln was conspicuously absent perhaps getting back at Kate for missing that reception years earlier. Over the next decade, Kate and William Sprague had four children, a son and three daughters. But it was not a happy marriage. Sprague had problems with alcohol, engaged in several affairs, 
and kept losing money in bad business investments. Some say illegal business investments. Kate was not languishing as a lonely and forgotten wife. She was accused of having an affair with New York Senator Roscoe Conkling, a flamboyant and powerful member of Congress. Reportedly, Sprague returned home early from a trip to Europe and caught Kate and Conkling at their summer home in Rhode Island. He chased Conkling with a shotgun while threatening to throw Kate out a second-story window. And that might not have been Kate's first attempt to fill the void in her marriage with a man. There remains widespread speculation that her second child might have been fathered by someone other than Sprague. Kate was also probably disappointed in her husband's lack of stature. Up until she married, everything she did, everything she said, all of her plans were geared toward making her father president. And many suspected she had chose Sprague, believing his position as a former governor of Rhode Island and a new senator would help build allies. But the truth was, Rhode Island was old money, and the blue bloods there looked at Sprague as an inferior man who had bought his way into politics. So in the end, Sprague supporting Chase did not really help him very much. In 1882, after nearly 20 years of mostly being married in name only, the couple finally gave up and divorced, and Kate took her name back. Their son, Willie, went and lived with his father. The three girls lived with Kate. Willie's life would come to a tragic end. At the age of 25, while living in a Seattle boarding house, he took his own life after his wife gave birth to a child of questionable lineage just six months after they were married. Welcome to Anthology of Heroes, the podcast that explores the most pivotal moments of history through the eyes of those who lived it. In this podcast, we don't spend our time recounting facts and dates. Instead, we follow in the footsteps of national heroes, kings, or ordinary people who lived and breathed the moments that shaped our world. We're not hemmed in by eras, borders, or religions. Instead, we seek out the tales of those who defied the odds and fought passionately for their beliefs. Whether they're right or wrong is up to you to decide. From Vercingetorix's doomed rebellion against Rome, to Osceola's unshakable war against the USA, all the way up to the inspiring Sobibor concentration camp uprising in World War II, each episode is an immersive listening experience, blending music and sound effects to really draw you into the story. Our episodes go for about 45 minutes, making them perfect for your commute, and are crafted using a wealth of historical sources which I list on our website if you want to learn more. I'm the host, Elliot Gates, and I'm thrilled to have you joining me as we uncover history's hidden gems and illuminate the faded pages of our past. Look out for the Anthology of Heroes podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. Now that we got some of the personal stuff aside, let's jump back to 1864. That's three years after Chase was appointed Lincoln's Treasury Secretary. The Civil War is still going on. 
Kate's been married a year, but being a wife was always secondary to her number one mission, make daddy president. Historian Doris Kearns Goodwin wrote, Kate's dynamic grace and intellect made her the most interesting woman in any gathering, as well as a critical force behind her father's drive for the presidency. Her father's ambitions became the ruling passions of her life. She gradually made herself absolutely essential to him, helping with his correspondence, editing his speeches, discussing political strategy, entertaining his friends and his colleagues. While other girls of her age focused on the social calendar of balls and soirees, she concentrated all of her energies on furthering her father's political career. Now, Lincoln knew Chase was still after his job, but he came up with a plan that he hoped would keep Chase from challenging him in the next election. He appointed Chase Chief Justice of the Supreme Court when that post became vacant. By the way, his first act as Chief Justice was to admit John Rock as the first African-American attorney to argue cases before the Supreme Court. Kate did not like this whole idea of her pop on the court. She warned her father it was all a ploy to occupy him so he'd stop looking toward the White House. So, in 1868, Chief Justice Chase made his move. He left the Republican Party and became a Democrat, hoping to win their nomination for highest office. Kate became his campaign manager, running the show from their hotel on Fifth Avenue in New York City, where the convention was scheduled. Tradition prevented women from appearing on the convention floor, even a woman as well-connected as Kate Chase. But that was okay. She was used to backroom maneuvering. And for a time, it seemed like it was working. Support for Chase was growing, and she thought she had talked New York Governor Horatio Seymour into nominating her father when it came time. Well, turns out there was a conspiracy of New York politicians plotting the ultimate betrayal. And instead of nominating Chase, they nominated New York Governor Horatio Seymour. Kate was livid, and she blamed Congressman Samuel Tilden for choreographing the whole thing. She wrote her father, You have been most cruelly deceived and shamefully used by Tilden, whom you trusted implicitly, and the country must suffer for his duplicity. Well, you know what they say about a woman scorned. And it appears Kate may have gotten her revenge on Tilden. Here's how. Eight years later, the 1876 presidential contest between Republican Rutherford B. Hayes and the Democratic Samuel Tilden became one of the most contentious presidential elections in American history. There were charges of voter fraud, voter disenfranchisement, and polling place violence. And in the end, the election was resolved in negotiations between the two parties. 
Even though Tilden had won the popular vote, they gave the election to Hayes. Could Kate have had a hand in that? Well, historians can't help but note that the most powerful Republican congressman at the time and one of the most influential voices in those negotiations that named Hayes the winner was New York Senator Roscoe Conkling, Kate's lover. We'll never know how much Kate's whispers might have contributed to the choosing of America's president that year. Sam and Chase tried for the presidency a second time, but by then he was a political has-been and easily lost his bid against Ulysses S. Grant. Chase died a year after that failed attempt. After that, the divorced Kate moved into her father's house and lived a quiet life with her three daughters, Ethel, Kitty, and Portia. The scandals around her affair with Conkling had made it hard to show her face in the social circles that once revered her. She even went to Europe for a time to put some distance between her and the headlines. But eventually and quietly, she returned to Washington. Even then, it was said Washington politicians, even presidential contenders, paid her a visit to ask for advice in beating their opponents or currying favors. The end of Kate's life reads like a Charles Dickens novel. Her son Willie committed suicide. Two of her daughters moved away, and all that remained with her was the youngest daughter, Kitty, who was mentally impaired. Kate's wealth diminished. She had always spent money like a princess, and she attempted to retain her luxurious lifestyle by selling off everything in the house, furniture, jewelry, clothes. And once the family's fortune was gone, she had to resort to raising chickens and growing vegetables in her backyard, selling her eggs and produce door to door. Even as she drove her one-horse wagon with her soiled white gloves through the streets of Washington, delivering produce, it was said she held her head high and was kind to everyone she met. In 1896, a few of her father's friends formed a trust to support her until her death in 1899 of a liver and kidney ailment. She was just 58 years old. Her body was taken back to Cincinnati to be laid to rest next to her father. A story on her funeral in the Enquirer said just a handful of people were on hand at Spring Grove Cemetery for her simple ceremony. Yet people who knew the influence she once had made note of it in writing about her death. The New York Times said, The homage of the most eminent men in the country was hers. From the Washington Post, she was the most brilliant woman of her day. None outshone her. And from Chicago, with the passing of Kate Chase Sprague, there has disappeared the most romantic figure of over a quarter century's history. (laughs) 
Nothing in her whole career was commonplace. All was picturesque. Much was tragic. And her life interwoven with the great events and great names of her day. That's it for tonight, listeners. For photos, news clippings, and more on this and every episode, hop on over to our website, ohiomysteries.com. We are also proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. If you would like to hear more podcasts like ours, check out killerpodcasts.com. Be sure to tune in Wednesday for our 10-minute mysteries, and we will see you next week for another full episode. might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight cisgender white men and the victims of true crime are not a monolith either she's wendy and i'm beth and together we host fruit loop serial killers of color a true crime podcast together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold we also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve at fruit loops we're serving up true crime with a side of history society culture and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.